uh, I'm glad that it's about the Lord. This is His house, His sanctuary set aside for Him. And I'm grateful for that privilege this morning. Titus chapter number 3 today. You find your place there in the Word of God. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. We've been preaching through this book uh, since around the 1st of October. And uh, we're pretty close to finishing it out. Just preaching verse by verse through the book of Titus. And I have enjoyed this book. And I appreciate the kind comments uh, that we've uh, heard uh, from you about how much you've enjoyed this study. And we're going to try to continue that again this morning. Titus chapter number 3, verse number 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The book of Titus, the theme of this book is godliness. Titus chapter 1 is godliness in the church. Titus chapter 2 is godliness in the home. And Titus chapter 3 is godliness displayed while we live in this world. I believe that God's people ought to be godly. The Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 15 and 16, the Lord says, Be ye holy, for as I am holy. That is not a suggestion this morning. That is a command. We ought to be godly. In our verses this morning, by way of introduction, I'll be honest with you, our Rock of Ages study Bible has a good outline on these verses, and I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel. In verse number 1, he talks about our conduct as citizens. Our conduct as citizens. The Bible said in verse number 1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates. Beginning in verse number 1, Paul is instructing Titus to teach the people, to teach the church there at Crete, how they are to be a good citizen. And the purpose of this is having a godly testimony out in the community. I think it's a sad thing when God's people don't have a good name out in the community. Amen. I tell you, we ought to be different. We ought to be set apart. We are not better than anybody else, but we ought to live better uh, than anybody else. Not because of who we are, uh, but because of the one that lives inside of us. Now, there are those that would take verse number one where Paul said we're to obey uh, the, the principalities and the powers and to obey magistrates. And they would say, see, uh, when y'all had church in 2020, uh, when the governor shut the churches down, y'all disobeyed the Scripture. Well, let me remind you who wrote Titus chapter 3 and where he was at when he wrote it. Paul is in prison when he writes Titus chapter 3 and he wasn't in prison uh, for stealing candy from the candy store. Somebody help me, alright? He was in prison for obeying God rather than man. Here's what we are to do. We are to be good citizens 
we too are, are to obey the law of the land as long it does not contradict the law of the Lord. Can I get an amen out of that? That's why the government, that's why no president, no governor, no mayor, no nobody has a right to tell us not to meet and we are going to disobey their, their request because we have the law of the Lord that says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, you just don't care about people help. It's amazing you don't use that philosophy at Walmart or at the Cracker Barrel or at the beach or in Pigeon Forge or in Branson or, at you, or anybody else. Do you want to use that at church? Amen. That's what we call a hypocrite where I'm from. I tell you, that has no bearings on verse number one. Can I get amen out of that? We're, that is our conduct as citizens. Uh, but oh, and by the way, I remember three years ago this week, we was all going to be in a concentration camp by this time. But once again, preachers don't know what they're talking about. Amen. By the way, we're not supposed to preach the headlines. We're supposed to preach the Bible. Amen. So he talks about our conduct as citizens. But then verses 2, verse 1 and 2, he also talks about our character as Christians. It's right there in the text. He said we're to be ready to every good work. Verse 1, verse number 2, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Now that verse is not teaching uh, that we're to roll over and be wimps and not take a stand and not stand for truth. But it is speaking uh, and teaching of the fact that we are to stand with grace and with compassion and Christianity. I want to remind you that Christian means to be like Christ. And Jesus Christ went in and flipped over tables in the temple. You ain't never seen me do that. But you know why He did that? Because it needed to be done. He took a stand, but He done it with the right spirit and the right attitude. So I said, how do you know that Jesus flipped those tables over and ran the money changers out of the temple, uh, that what He did was right and He done it in the right spirit? Because Jesus couldn't sin. He couldn't do anything wrong. And so what he did was right and holy in the sight of God. And we as believers, we ought to be ready to every, every good work. He's going to talk about that more later on this chapter. And we'll discuss it in the next sermon. And then he talks about to speak evil of no man. Now, what does that mean? That is talking about gossip and slander. Now, somebody said, well, you preach against you preach against uh, uh, the, the wickedness of our government. That's slander. No, that's truth. There's a difference between tra- slander and truth, amen. There's a difference between taking that book and lining that up and saying, that's not right. Help me now, amen. I got a couple amanners out of town today. I need y'all stepping up a little bit. Just let me know you're awake, all right? And so he's talking about and to, to be no brawlers, to be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. It gives the idea of having self-control. Gives the idea of being able to control our emotions. Hey, don't be driven by your emotions. Every time you and I make a decision based on our emotions, we always make the wrong decision. Did you hear what I said? Every time, I'm trying to get to verses 4 through 7, the good part, but i got to deal with this first. Every time you and I make a decision based on how we feel, based on how we, our emotions are, we always make the wrong decision. Because we walk by faith 
and not by sight, Paul said. And so Paul's talking about our, our conduct as citizens and our character as Christians, but it all leads to this point in verses 3 through 7 is what I want to preach on this morning. And I, I wrote this down, not only our conduct as citizens, not only our character as Christians, but then he talks about our conversion to Christ. Now watch this now. He, the context of this, the context of this passage is that of our testimony out in the world. The context is how we are to live our lives. We are to let, let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. But we wouldn't be able to do that if verse 3 through 7 hadn't taken place in our life. I, I, I'm interested in three words that I want to build our thoughts upon and they're found in verse number 5. Would you look at it with me? And if you have a habit of marking your Bibles, you might want to underline these three words. That's what I'm going to preach on this morning. Look at verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. Oh, there's my three words. You ready? He saved us. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for that little three-word phrase this morning. He saved us. Amen. I'm glad He saved you. But I'm really glad He saved me. And together as, as a church, those of us who have been born again, those of us that have been to bloody Calvary, oh, we can say collectively, He saved us. Amen. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I'm so glad uh, that Jesus saves all sinners. I'm so glad uh, that He loves us, that He gave His life for us, uh, that He rose again for us. Why did He do that? He done that because He wanted to this morning. I want to preach on that three-word phrase this morning. He saved us. And I'm probably going to give you the most simplistic outline I've ever preached, but it's how God gave it to me this week. First of all, this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about the who of our salvation. It says He. Who is the who? Who, who, who is the one that saved me? It didn't say uh, that I saved us. It didn't say that you saved us. It says He saved us. Well, who is this He? Well, look at verse number 4. But after the kindness and love of... Here's our first one. God. You see, we see that God is a part of our salvation. In other words, God, He planned our salvation. Hey, I want to remind us this morning that Adam and Eve falling in the garden, Adam and Eve disobeying in the garden of Eden, wherefore is by one man sin in the world, and death by sin. And so death is passed upon all men for all is sin. That did not catch God by surprise. Amen. God didn't plan their sin, but God did plan their salvation. Amen. God did not trick them into sinning. God did not trick them uh, into wickedness. Oh no, they yielded that temptation. But aren't you glad uh, that God had already made provision? Acts chapter 2 talks about that predetermined counsel. Uh, that God was going to save sinners. Here's what the Bible said. This is a faithful saying. And it's worth of all acceptation. Uh, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who is that He? Who is the who of my salvation? I'll tell you who it is this morning. It is God the Father. Amen. God planned it. 
But that ain't it. Not only is the He the sovereign God, but watch verse number 4. But after the kindness of God, kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. Look at verse number 6. Which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Not only is the sovereign involved in my salvation, He planned it, but the Son is involved in my salvation. He purchased it. Amen. God planned my salvation, but Jesus Christ, He purchased my salvation. I'm glad He didn't pull out a credit card to save me. He didn't pull out His wallet to save me. But He went to Calvary and He shed His blood on the cross. And thank God through His blood, He obtained eternal redemption for us all. Amen. Thank God Jesus paid a debt that He did not owe. And I owed a debt that I could not pay. I'm so glad that Jesus paid it all this morning. God planned my salvation. The Son purchased my salvation. But look at verse number verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, all three parts of the Trinity was involved in my salvation. God planned it. Jesus purchased it, and the Holy Spirit presented it. Amen. I'm, aren't you glad this morning uh, that God had a master plan, and Jesus purchased my sin, and then as a five-year-old boy, as a lost sinner on my way to hell, uh, the sweet Holy Ghost of God came where I was at, and He presented unto me the gift of salvation uh, through the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. Uh, he, over, in, over there in Genesis chapter number 2, He said, Let us make man in our own image speaking of the Trinity but I'm glad that's not the last time the Trinity was involved with man for the who of my salvation is the Trinity God planned it Jesus purchased it and the Holy Spirit presented my salvation to me thank God for that this morning that's the who of my salvation y'all picking up what I'm laying down but number two the wonder of my salvation Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse number 3. This is why I'm wondering. This is why I'm amazed at my salvation. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. That's why I call that the wonder of my salvation. Because that's a bad crowd right there. That's a rough crowd right there. Notice what we were. We were devoid in verse number, verse number 3. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish. That word foolish means not understood, unintelligible. The Bible talks about in Romans 3 that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Oh, we were foolish. How many of you are fool before you got saved? All your hands should be up. You know why you was a fool before you got saved? The fool, the fool in the Bible is always the one who is contrary to God. The fool has said in his heart oh, that there is no God. All of us this morning before we got saved, we were nothing more than fools. Amen. Well, I wasn't that bad. Well, you probably never got saved if you didn't think you was that bad. Amen. Well, I, I, I tell you, I, I, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like them. Well, whoever them are is not the standard. Paul said, we sometimes were foolish. 
Watch where else he goes. When we were devoid, we were disobedient. Verse number 3, we were sometimes foolish, disobedient. This speaks of man's rebellion. What is it in man that sees a sign that says wet paint, do not touch, and we want to walk over there and touch it? Don't look at me like that. What is it in man that sees a sign that says stay off the grass, and we just want to walk through the grass? It's that rebellion that is inside of us. It is that disobedience inside of us. We were disobedient to God's Word, disobedient to God's will, disobedient to God's ways. Look on to the verse. Just preaching to the text. We were devoid, foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. Look at verse number 3. Deceived. This word deceived means to lead away from the truth, to lead in the air. Some of you are still deceived this morning. Here's what I mean by that. You think because you're in church, that makes you a Christian. Being in church don't make you saved no more than standing in a garage makes you a Ford. Notice I said Ford, not Dodge, Miss Sherry. Amen. Uh, but it, it, don't, it don't make you a car standing in a garage. Standing in a hospital don't make you a doctor. And going to church don't mean you're saved. Disobedient. They were disobedient. There was deceived. Some people think, well, if I join that church, oh, that'll get me into heaven. Or if I get baptized, that'll get me into heaven. Those are all things you do after you get saved. Amen. I, I made up my mind, Brother Gene, I'm going to quit asking people when I talk to them about the Lord if they want to go to heaven when they die. I'm going to ask them, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because who don't want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. I'm talking about being more confrontational. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Brother Gregory was preaching last Sunday and talked about they went to that. My wife mentioned it yesterday. We was riding down the road and talked about uh, Brother Gregory said that preacher would give the invitation. And he'd say, all right, I want everybody that's saved to come forward. And everybody would come forward, except Brother Steve said, except for me and my family, because we wasn't saved. Talk about not trying to embarrass anybody. I don't know where we've got that thing. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want... Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You've got to say no to your flesh, say no to your pride, and say, you know what? There is nothing worth going to hell for. There is nothing worth missing God for. There is nothing more, uh, more important to me than getting to know Jesus Christ. But some people uh, will never get saved because they will never say no to their pride. You're looking at a preacher this morning that despises alcoholic beverages. I'm against it. Amen. I think if you take one drink, you're a drunk. Amen. I, I think you ought to be a teetotaler. Amen. Amen. I, 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 that's right. But Jack Daniels hasn't sent as many people to hell as pride has. Budweiser has not sent as many people to hell as pride has. Deceived. I'm okay. It's all them other people that need it. No, it's everybody must come to a point in their life where they trust Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you'll split hell wide open and then be cast to the lake of fire for all eternity. Pride hinders. Some people believe that their parents' salvation will get them to heaven. I'm not trying to reteach the Sunday school lesson, Brother Clayton, but God don't have any grandchildren. Just because, amen, I'll use Brother Gene and Brother Matthew's illustration. Just because Brother Gene got saved and God, I, I heard his testimony in Virginia. I preached for a guy in Virginia and he told me, he said, I remember when Brother Gene got saved. They was going to a Methodist church and the next Sunday they stand on the steps of the Methodist church passing out tracts. 
say, praise God, amen. But just because Brother Gene got saved, that didn't automatically mean that Brother Matthew was already saved. It didn't pass down like that. Brother Matthew had to come to a point in his life where he trusted Christ. Oh, well, my mom and daddy's saved, and so that must mean uh, that I'm saved. No, uh, you have to come to a personal time in your life where you trust Jesus Christ. That don't matter if you're 10 or you're 45. God don't have no grandchildren. There is, he, he talks about, he talks about uh, that they were disobedient. They were devoid. Uh, then, then they were deceived. But watch this. Serving divers' lusts and pleasures. We were depraved. We lived for the gratification of the flesh. Serving divers' lusts. How I many you know this? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to act how I want to act. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. We were despisers. Look at verse 5. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. I don't know about you, but reading verse number 3, that's a rough crowd. I mean, that's a bad group of people right there. I mean, that is a wicked bunch. By the way, you're in that number. And I'm in that number. Some of you this morning, you're lost. You're still in that number. Well, I'm a good person. I didn't say you wasn't a good person. I just said you was a sinner. You see, people don't like that, that term sinner anymore. They don't, that, that's a little confrontational. Well, yeah, it sure is. It's very confrontational. We have this snowflake society, thin skin, where nobody wants to be told, you are wrong. Just watch. You disagree with somebody on the job, they'll go find them another one. Couples do it in their marriage, they'll go find them another one. People do it at church. Well, they do it like, oh, I'm going to find me another one. That's a rough crowd. That's the who of our salvation. That's the wonder of our salvation. But then, watch this down. Notice number three. Notice the way of our salvation. Now, now watch this. Look at, look at verse number three again. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient. Deceived. Let, let's, let's take a test this morning. I'm going to read these words in verse number 3 that describes these sinners. And if you apply to these, if these apply to you before you got saved, say amen. You ready? For we ourselves were sometimes foolish. Amen. Disobedient. Amen. Deceived. Amen. Serving divers lust and pleasures. Amen. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Amen. That's a bad crowd. But I love verse 4. But after that. (laughs) That's the revelation in our text. But after that. After all that in verse number 3. I mean, that's a rough crowd. Brother Charles in verse number 3. That's a bad crowd. That's a crowd I don't want to hang around. I don't want to walk down the same street. I'm going to put my hand on my pistol and my hand on my wallet while I'm around that crowd because I can't trust them. Oh, but I love verse number 4. But after that, aren't you glad that you're in verse number 4 this morning and no longer in verse number 3? Aren't you glad you're living in but after that and not in that sometimes anymore? Oh, that revelation. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior uh, toward man, it appeared. Aren't you glad that God's grace, God's kindness, God's love it made an appearance in your life? Paul gives a very simple reason. Paul gives various reasons in verse 3 for God not to love us. 
and then tell us in verse 4, God loves us. He gives us every reason, gives God every reason not to love us. And then in verse number 4, he says, but I'm going to tell you, he loves you anyway. Notice, notice that little word, kindness. That, ki- that word kindness got real big to me this week studying it. That word kindness, it means an act of goodwill. That's what it means. You look it up in the dictionary. It means an act of goodwill. And when I read that word kindness, Brother Charles, I couldn't help but think of another king that wanted to show some kindness. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter number 9, David will make this statement. Is there yet any left of the house of Saul that I may show him? And he uses this phrase, that I may show the kindness of God. Now, what does the kindness of God look like? Well, you got to read 2 Samuel 9. The kindness of God looks like that He cares for somebody that's His enemy. Because Methuselah was the son of Jonathan, and Jonathan was the son of Saul, thus putting him in the wrong family. So kindness is caring about somebody that's your enemy. And then kindness is going after them. And then kindness is not leaving them where they are, but bringing them to you. And then kindness is sitting them at the table and giving them a spot and a place in the family that they didn't deserve. That's exactly what happened in the life of Methuselah. David said, I know he's in the wrong family, but I made a covenant with his daddy long before he was ever born that I was going to be good to him. And so what he do? He sat down the loading bar and he got Methuselah who was crippled and he brought him back to the king's house and he forgave him of all of his debts and he gave him back everything that he had lost and he put him at the table in the king's family and he said he's going to eat at my table always as one of the king's sons. And I want to remind you that I was an alien of the commonwealth of Israel. I was the enemy of God. Oh, but God had kindness on me. And He thought about me. And He come where I was at. And thank God He didn't leave me where I was. Oh, but He brought me to the palace. And He set me at the table. And now I am a child of the king. That's the kindness of God. The kindness of God, oh, and the love of God appeared. It appeared, that word appeared is the same word in chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, meaning that it shined out of the darkness. Oh, we were in darkness, but then God's kindness and God's love began to shine. Amen. i got to hurry. There's the revelation, but then verse number 5, there's the regeneration. He said, he said, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. That's a big word, regeneration. You know, you look up that word regeneration in a Bible dictionary, you know what it means? To be born all over again. In other words, when the kindness and the love of God appeared, I got a brand new start. I got a brand new life. Things are not the same anymore. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. God not only forgives my sin, but He forgets that I was a sinner. That's pretty good, ain't it? Amen. The regeneration. He washed us from our sins in His own blood. Aren't you glad you can start over? There is revelation, regeneration. But then there is renewal. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
Now that word, that word renewal, is a good word. It means, you look it up, it means renovation. Or a complete change for the better. How many this morning you got saved and Jesus made a complete change in your life for the better? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all things are become new. Aren't you glad this morning he made a change for the better? No, am I everything I should be? Absolutely not. Oh, but thank God I'm not what I was. And thank God he is still working on me. And he is making changes in my life for the better. Then there's the riches. Look on in verse, verse number 6 which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I love that verse the Bible said in verse number, Romans chapter number 10, verse uh, number, let's see here, verse number 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is, uh, over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. That means it don't matter your background, your pedigree, or your track record, or your, or whatever you've done, I'm glad that He is willing to save from the uttermost to the guttermost. It don't matter how good you are, you need to be saved. And it don't matter how bad you are, you need to be saved. And Paul is taking a walk down memory lane to young Titus. And he said, He saved us. There's the who of my salvation. There's the wonder of my salvation. But He is the way of my salvation. But then that leads me to verse 7. And this question right here, this point right here, I don't know. And I can't preach it because I don't know it. It's the why of my salvation. Why would He save me? You answer that question, and Rick will give you a thousand dollars. Don't worry, you're good. Because <laughs> you can't answer it. Why would God want anything to do with that crowd in verse number three? Why would He want anything to do? with adulterers and fornicators and liars and thieves and murderers and, and robbers and extortioners. and Why would he want anything to do with that crowd? Paul says to make us righteous in verse 7, that being justified by his grace. The word justified means to render righteous as he ought to be. John Phillips said justification is greater than forgiveness. Are you listening? I'm almost done. Justification is greater than forgiveness. A person, listen to me carefully now, y'all listen, tune in. A person who has been proven guilty may be forgiven by the offended party. Example, we've all seen court cases before where somebody's committed a crime, maybe murdered somebody, maybe accident, maybe premeditated, maybe they were drunk and they killed somebody, which is, I believe that's a murder. Amen. Well, me and Rhonda believes it. Amen. I believe that's a murder. Amen. Somebody said, that's not premeditated. When you started drinking and got behind the wheel, it's premeditated. That's right. And so uh, I, I've seen where the family will say, Sir, you know, we hate that this happened, but we forgive you. Forgiveness was extended. But that man still got a record. Still got a record what he'd done. So justification is not the same as forgiveness. A justified person, on the other hand, has been acquitted of all charges. He has no record of being guilty of any wrongdoing. 
God's great salvation justifies believers. The record of our sins is eternally expunged from God's memory. Paul put it like this in Hebrews 10, 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. As I quoted a moment ago, He not only forgives us of our sins, but He forgets that we were a sinner. To make us righteous. And then why did He, why did he save us? To make us royalty. Look at verse number 7 again as we close. That being justified by His grace... We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, now, what does that heirs mean? Well, we could talk about that an heir means to someone who inherits something from a loved one who's passed away. We are, we are heirs, and we talk about joint heirs. But here's what God emphasized in my heart as I studied that this week. To be an heir, you have to be in the family. And he is, he is, we'd all agree, he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning. And I am an heir to, Christ, to God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Somebody said, boy, Jesus is a good father. I don't mean, my, Jesus ain't my father. Jesus is my brother. God is my father. Jesus Christ is my brother and that family turned to my Savior. He's also that bridegroom of the church. Amen. So watch this now. I am an heir, which means I'm a child of the King now. I'm in the family now. I'm no longer an outcast. But I have family rights. Once I was clothed in the rags of my sin, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within, but with, that's verse 4, but with wondrous compassion, the King of all kings, in pity and love, he took me under his wings. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing. Praise God. Praise God. I'm a child of the King. Now I'm a child with a heavenly home. My Holy Father has made me His own. And I'm cleansed by His blood. I'm clothed with His love. And one day I'm going to sing with the ransomed above. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I'm a child of the King. His royal blood now flows in my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God. I'm a child of the King. See, that don't mean nothing to you if you think you're perfect and you think you're alright and you think you don't need God and you're not that bad. Oh, but if you've seen yourself in verse number 3 of being a foolish, being disobedient, of being deceived, of living in divers lust, if you see yourself in verse 3 
You can rejoice over verse 4. But after that. I'm glad this morning I'm living in after that. Thanks to Calvary, I don't go there anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I don't live that way anymore. Thank God for after that. Somebody help me preach. Thank God for that after that. The kindness and the love of God appeared. Mephibosheth had nothing to offer David. He had no land. He had no physical ability to do anything for David. But David said, oh, I'm not here for what you can do for me. I'm here for what I can do for you. Salvation is not God coming by and seeing what you can give him. Salvation is God coming by and Him doing for you what you could not do for yourself. Now, when we get to the rest of Titus chapter 3, we're going to see that after we're saved, we're to maintain good works, not to be saved, but because we are saved. But I love that Paul lays it out. Come on, Brother Matthew. I'm so glad that Paul lays it out in our text this morning. That by the washing of regeneration, He saved us. I'm glad I'm saved this morning. I'm glad I know Jesus. I'm not saved this morning because I joined the church. I'm not saved this morning because I'm trying to be a better person. I'm saved this morning because my faith is in Jesus Christ. What are you trusting in to get to heaven this morning? Are you trusting in, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I try to be nice to people. I try to pay my bills. I try to be kind to my neighbors. I try to be uh, good to people. That's not salvation this morning. Salvation is turning from all that and turn into Christ. As we stand for prayer this morning, I appreciate your attention. Heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Brother Matthew's playing a verse of invitation. May have God spoke to your heart today. Are you?